All right, we are finishing up our Imperfect Together vision series this morning. The scripture is from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. That when, Jewish, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all they had had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Thank you, Cindy. Welcome to Current Happy Serve Day. Um, we're excited to uh, continue and actually finish this uh, series that we've been in, this vision series we're calling Imperfect Together by looking at this famous text of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, hope you can uh, take advantage of the different opportunities and, and needs that we're going to present later today, if that works for you. Um, but growing up in a, a family of six kids was a unique experience for me across the board, which is actually kind of funny because when I was a little kid, I didn't think of it all as, as that uh, unique. Um, did everybody ever ask you the question when you were growing up, when you were little, uh, how many kids do you want to have when you, when you grew up? Everybody, anybody ever ask you that? Uh, for me, I would always answer that question, I want to have a small family. I want to have just four kids. Because um, to me, small was four, uh, six kids was, was normal. Um, but, you know, when it came to... Uh, chores in, in, the, in the family of six kids, we had it all covered, okay? My oldest sister did the mopping. My older brother did the dishes. One of my sisters did the toilets, which she loved, incidentally. She really enjoyed that for some reason. I still can't figure out to this day. Uh, my younger brother did the sweeping, which when he was real little, uh, really amounted to just moving dust around and not really picking it up at all. Uh, I did the garbage and the recycling. And I have to say, there was, sure, uh, a good uh, a, a part of the task that I, that I did that I didn't enjoy a whole lot. Um, you know, for instance, there was this rule that you had to finish up your, your task uh, on a Sunday, excuse me, a Saturday morning before you went about your day. And so as a little guy, especially growing up when I was real little before I moved up to the East Bay, I grew up in San Diego. All I wanted to do was be outside with my friends. So to have to get this done and get out there, I was just like, oh, I, wanna, I don't want to be doing this. I want to be out there and, and doing it. Um, there, there was a part of me that was like, okay, I don't, I don't like this task. But really, deep down in bigger picture, I loved being able to do the garbage and recycling. Um, I really loved this idea that I had this responsibility as a part of the family, uh, taking care of what needed to get taken care of, and to look at the home at the end of the day, uh, minus my brother's sweeping efforts, and see, wow, there's so much like cleanliness and, and order to it, to have that sense of accomplishment. There was stuff that I had to give up to be in that place, but mainly, this was something that I just really found a lot of joy and satisfaction in. Uh, as we've been saying, today is Serve Day at Current, where we highlight some of the opportunities and needs in the church family. 
um, which if you were here last week when we celebrated our third birthday, uh, one of the themes of what we talked about last week is God is moving. Uh, the church is growing. The church is multiplying. For instance, last week I heard that there was 54 kids back there with the, with the kids groups, which meant the kids volunteers are amazing watching them and, and doing their thing. Um, you know, the room, room in this space is starting to get bigger, and we're, we're thinking about different opportunities in the future to think about that. Groups are packed. It's, 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 it's exciting, which means there's a number of ways that you can jump in uh, into Sunday mornings uh, in terms of making that happen, but to make a difference in a number of, of ways here at the church. And, of course, as we think about Serve Day, we think about serving God just at large and not just at current, but in general. Um, but something we've believed from the very beginning when it comes to serving when it comes to serving here at Current, is we don't primarily see serving as something we want from you. We primarily see it as something we want for you. Now, when I say that, I'm not trying to do a Jedi mind trick, okay? I'm not trying to say you will all serve at Current, and you will all love to serve at Current. You won't do it out of a sense of obligation, but out of joy and gratitude. I'm not trying to do that, okay? Um, In fact, just to put it out there, our goal today is in no way to make you feel guilty or pressured to serving. I just want to start by saying that. Um, are there a lot of needs that need to be filled? Sure. Are, are there, would, would it be great to have more folks helping out? Of course. But the goal is not to put guilt on you or pressure you into doing something that you would feel obligated to do. In fact, if that's you, if you feel obligated, don't, don't sign up. We're, we're excited that you're here, regardless. What our goal is, however, today is to share how Jesus invites us each into serving with joy. Because um, what we see here is serving isn't a, ah, i got to do this sort of thing, but it's truly a, wow, we get to do this experience. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll look at the text together. Father, thank you for first serving us. Uh, it's, of course, the reason we're here today at all is because you first served us. Uh, thank you. We humbly ask, would you please, at the working of your Holy Spirit, open your Scripture to us now. In other words, would you please serve us in this way? that we may consider how to serve you and others in the way you call us into. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, where we pick up in the Gospel of John, this biography of Jesus that the the Apostle John wrote and recorded for us, is Jesus has been in the ministry, his formal ministry, for about a year's time. He has selected selected 12 guys to kind of follow him and and be out there serving people, um, attending to people's needs and teaching. And at this point in his ministry, again, about a year in, he had attracted a lot of attention. Crowds were beginning to follow him. So if you look at verse 2, the crowds were following because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And then verse 3, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Actually, the other gospel accounts, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, they actually give us uh, different uh, vantage points of seeing what was happening. And they tell us, they make clear something that we can only kind of sort of see here in this John account. And that is when it says Jesus is going up on the mountainside, it's saying that he was going off to get some rest. Okay, he'd been really busy. He needed a time with his disciples to unplug, to unwind, to find a little bit of R&R. But his heavenly father had different plans, apparently. Because if you look at verse 5, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he engaged. Other accounts say that he was moved to compassion in this moment. In other words, Jesus was moved to serve. Now, here's the first thought I kind of want to draw out here today, and that is we see that it is God's nature to serve. Uh, God is a serving God. 
as Christians, it's really easy to take this thought for granted. I mean, let's think about it. If you were to, apart from every, any revelation in the Bible or just any revelation at all, think about how God would posture himself towards you and towards me, what would you assume that posture to be? I would think that the Almighty's posture, the one who created the heavens, the earth, the, pro- the provider, the sustainer of all things, I would think that his posture would be one of, hey, you serve me. But what we see over and over again is that he, his posture in, in many ways is actually, at least first, to serve us. Uh, this is just a mind-boggling thought that God is a servant. And what's more, in this text, we see here he is, here Jesus is dealing with the very with our very human limitations. Um, he's wanting to get away. He's needing a break. Uh, he's tired, uh, and he gets interrupted. How many of you, when you're really tired, when, you've just been, when you're spent, you need to really unplug, and you're confronted with somebody's need, how well do you respond in that moment? How do you respond typically in that instance? Uh, I think if we're real about it, typically we're annoyed or frustrated, maybe a little exasperated, but not Jesus. Jesus here looks at, the, at, the, at this crowd coming with compassion. He sees an opportunity to engage. He sees an opportunity to serve. We serve a serving God. It's his nature. And because it's his nature, it's our nature as well. I had a buddy that I took to a prayer breakfast gathering um, a few years back. He didn't identify as a Christian at the time, so it was just real fun to kind of experience this gathering uh, through his eyes. There was a Christian speaker who got up there, a a guy who was in the workplace, just kind of sharing his story, his spiritual testimony. And so we we did all of that, and he he thought, man, this is an interesting, uh, uh, that was an interesting speech, hearing that guy's story. We were walking back out to the parking lot afterwards. It was at a hotel, and we were walking through a little area that had booths on both sides. Uh, booths of different organizations uh, f- giving opportunities to serve. And actually, a lot of the opportunities were, were, were ministries and organizations like the ones that we have been able to partner with. So, for instance, Foster the Bay, uh, helping foster kids around the Bay Area, you know, uh, Freedom House helping those who are in human trafficking or at least uh, have, have, sur- have escaped out of it, you know, things like We Hope, helping the homeless. So he saw all of this, and he, he, he stopped after walking about three-quarters of the way past these booths, and he said, David, this is really interesting. I said, what, what, what do you mean? Like, tell me, tell me about it. He said, I feel like you're doing, like you Christians are doing the very things that I feel like I, I should be doing. And I was really struck with his vulnerability, his authenticity in this moment. I said, tell me more. He said, he said I, I feel like I came to the Silicon Valley wanting to make a difference, wanting to impact people's lives. And I realized I'm not doing the things that these guys are, who are boothing here for are making possible. Can I serve? I said, yeah, of course you can serve. And I was thinking about that, and I, was, and, I, and, and I realized this thought that so many of us feel deep down that we ought to be serving others, that our, 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 our posture in life should be looking for needs and caring for them. Now, do we always do that well? No, we don't always do that well. But there's something deep down that we know it's a good thing if, in fact, what we were created for is to serve. Um, the Bible teaches us that the reason that's there is because we were made in the image of God, who, by the way, is a serving God. Uh, we serve a serving God. Second thought here is we see that he, he chooses to include us in his work of serving. Look at verses 5 and 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. 
I love that. This is kind of like a setup. Jesus is just totally setting him up. Uh, he's testing him, and he's saying he already knew what he, he had already had in mind what he's getting ready to do. You know, there's actually a precedent in the Bible for feeding the multitudes in the wilderness by bread. Uh, does anybody know the story I'm referencing? Uh, there's a story in, in, in Exodus when the ancient Israelites were out in the wilderness. They had been freed out of slavery, out of Egypt, and they were out there without food, without water. And they're all trying to figure out what to do. Well, God, in that time, sent bread. It's called manna, little, little wafers of bread, little flakes of bread that he rained down for the people to eat at the time. There's a precedent in the Bible for God to take care of the needs that Jesus was in front of Jesus right there. There's a precedent for that. Jesus could have done that, which, by the way, already by this point in John's account alone, Jesus had already turned water into wine. He had already healed the official son. He had already healed the paralytic. So Jesus had enough to be able to do something like this, and yet Jesus doesn't choose to do that. Incidentally, if he had chosen to do that, if he had decided to rain manna or bread down to the ground, that would have allowed him and his disciples to get back to the resting all that more efficiently. Wouldn't you say? Isn't that interesting to think about? it? He could have gone that way, but he didn't. He already had something else in mind. What was he choosing to do? He was choosing to include his disciples in serving the people. Philip, what do you think? Where shall we buy the bread? Think, Philip, how would you go about doing this? He was including the disciples. And one of the things I so appreciate about how my dad raised me looking back is that he was a pastor himself, and he would just have different things where he would be, you know, in the midst of whatever it was, serving people, caring for people. And what he would do from time to time is include me in that process. He'd kind of lay out the pieces on the table, say, David, this is what people are, are thinking and feeling and doing. You know, what do you think, son? How would you approach these things? And part of me was like, you're asking me? Like, I'm, a, I'm, like, I'm a teenager here, Dad. Why Don't, don't ask me. Um, but he said, no, son, you know, God's given you a heart and mind to think about these things too. Why wouldn't I at least ask you, what, what would you do in this situation? I said, well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'd try this or do this. And every once in a while, it really freaked me out. He'd actually do what I was suggesting. Like, don't do that. Like, don't, like, no. But he would actually do it. And that made such an impression on me. One, it was just exciting to think that, wow, it works that way. But two, in the sense of, like, him developing me, you know, that started to create within me a heart, a mind of thinking about, hey, you know, how, how, how can I serve? How would my dad serve in this situation? How would Jesus maybe call us to serve? In these situations, and it had an incredible impression on my heart and, and in my development. Jesus was including, and by the way, the rest of these disciples, because his goal wasn't just to feed the 5,000, as cool as that was. His goal was to feed the 5,000 with and through the disciples, to develop them, their hearts, their faith, to join him in serving others. God chooses to include us in his work. Why? Well, in part because he wants to develop us into servants, and also because he wants to let us be a part of the miracle. Uh, Jesus asked, what would you do, Philip? And Philip responded probably the way we'd all respond, right? Jesus, there's so many people here. There's thousands and thousands of people here. Uh, that feeding these guys would take a half a year's amount of wages. Like, are, you, are you insane? Um, in other words, Philip was thinking in terms of the immediate reality of limited resources, and making his calculations accordingly. But Jesus, of course, was wanting to stretch open his eyes of faith. Uh, it's funny, one commentary I was reading this week said, Philip blew it. 
He had his chance, and he blew it. Um, Here's what Philip should have said, this commentator says. Master, I don't know where the food is to feed this crowd, but you are greater than Moses, whom God used to feed the multitude every day in the wilderness. And God can certainly do a lesser work through a greater servant. You are greater than Elisha, whom God used to feed many sons of the prophets through little food. What is more, the scriptures say that man shall not live by bread alone, and you are great enough to fill this multitude with the words of your mouth. I love that. Uh, you know, could, could Philip have dropped the mic with that answer? Yeah, that would have been pretty awesome. But you know what? Part of it, I, I love that that's not there because this is so real. Is it not? Incidentally, you know, well, this is just strong evidence towards this Bible not being compiled by a bunch of religious leaders saying, hey, we should probably represent St. Philip this way. If they were going to represent St. Philip, they probably would have said what I just read to you. Uh, no. What they do is they give us Philip's real response. Jesus, dude, we don't have enough money for this. Like, what, why are you asking? Uh, here's what I love. Here's what I love. There's nowhere in this text where, where Jesus then says, okay, disciples, huddle up, okay, huddle up. All right, guys, Philip here, he just swung big time and missed, all right? Buddy, you're off the team, out, get out of here, right? Guys, you were all there when I healed the official son, right? You saw Philip was there too, you saw that? Okay, we're, we're on record. You saw when I turned water into wine, right? Philip, you're off the team, dude, you're off, right? It's not there, it's not there. Jesus goes on to perform the miracle in spite of Philip's faithless response. The miracle wasn't dependent on Philip having seen all the possibilities or his responding all that well. No, Jesus chose to include include Philip where he was at. Um, Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, steps up to the plate, Simon Peter's brother. He's he's probably thinking, "I I better stand in here for Philip. Philip needs a little bit of help, right? Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go for so many? So here's Andrew, bless his heart, who's onto something here. He stretches his eyes of faith a bit more. Here's a boy with some loaves, and he gets all apologetic, but what's that really going to do? It's like if you're rooting for Andrew, you're like, Andrew, you're, you got it, you got it. Oh, no, Andrew, almost, almost. Like, oh, you had it, right? What do we see here? Philip and Andrew and the other disciples who, by the way, are noticeably silent themselves, uh, we notice that Jesus chooses to include them, include us in his working of serving others, even when what we have to offer isn't all that much and isn't all that great. Um, Here are the 12 guys that Jesus had hand-selected for this ministry. Uh, They had been up close and personal with countless miracles up to this point, and none of them has a great performance here before the feeding of the 5,000. I love this. Why? Because that's you and that's me. Uh, We are Philip. We are Andrew most of the time. Um, I've read it said that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Uh, God chooses to use you in his work. Can you believe that? God chooses you to use you in his work. Not only, by the way, the privilege of it, to be included, but also in spite of what little you or I can probably bring to the table. Since this account, account is quite laughable, God could have, and maybe even should have in some respects, rained down the bread for these folks, right? That would have spared the embarrassing performance of the disciples. In some ways, it's laughable. In other ways, it's not laughable at all because that's reality. Uh, 
God wants to do the same in work, by working in us and working through us, even in spite of us. Why? Because he wants to develop us and he wants to include us in the miracle. So what does this take on our end? Well, let's keep moving forward. Last thought, we have to just be willing to, to be faithful to what he puts in front of us. Jesus said, have the people sit down, which again is just so interesting to me that he hasn't just like, you know, used his smack my head emoji by this point, and just like these guys have just screwed up. He just doesn't miss a beat. He just continues forward, uh, just continues thinking, okay, I'm going to use these disciples in this miracle. He said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish, and when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. Which real quickly, incidentally, is that last little thought, I think, is something our culture in our time especially understands versus many cultures, especially looking backwards down the ages, in a sense of don't let anything be wasted. You know, Jesus was hearkening back to the original call of humankind at creation to care for and steward the environment. Uh, This is something that Christians ought to take very seriously, even lead out in. But back to our thought, how did Jesus pull off this miracle? He used whatever was there, present and available. Of course, there was this little boy with his loaves and fish. I imagine one of his parents helped him put that together in the morning. And he used these disciples with their willingness to serve in the ways he was moving. Now, it was Jesus, to be clear, who was multiplying the loaves, of course, but it was the disciples he was having organize the people, distribute the food, and clean up afterwards. That sounds like a little bit like set up and tear down, if you ask me. Um, the disciples got to be a part of this amazing miracle, which incidentally is the only other miracle, save for the death and resurrection of Jesus that is recorded in all of the four gospel accounts. They got to be involved. They got to be up close and, and a part of it. And all that was required from them was a willingness to do the simple and small things that God was inviting them into. Uh, it seems no uh, small coincidence uh, that um, I got to be a, per- a part of a church startup growing up where I was on the setup and teardown uh, from the years about 1994 to 2008. And y- y- you need to realize I was a pastor's kid, which meant I was there Every Sunday of the year, I mean, minus a couple of Sundays. So we were just set up and tear down each and every week, and it was a blast. It was such a great time being able to hang out with the folks who were also setting up and tearing down. We didn't have the nice, like, you know, movable, rollable, you know, cases that we have, which are amazing. I just look back with, like, my past self would just so be like, oh, you guys are so lucky. But we had these, like, weird, like, off-shaped you know, bins from Ikea with these weird toys that we had to, like, maneuver through doors and just get, you know, every week. That was my life. And it was so great. It was so fun. I just got to know folks that way. Um, But I say it's not, I don't feel like it's a small coincidence that, that God gave me that opportunity because that is what we're doing today, right? And I'll be real, my personality, it makes me hard to ask people to do something that I can't do. And many of you actually know this. A few years back, I, I, I got this condition where I'm essentially handicapped. I have this rare form of, of arthritis, an autoimmune condition, um, which makes it hard for me to do physical tasks. And so part of my personality is it, it, it made it real hard for, hey, guys, you know, we're going to be setting up and tearing down. What do you guys think? And I, by the way, I can't help. 
But my past self, looking back at the setup, tear down, and I got to do other things at the church. Wouldn't trade that for the world. Wouldn't trade that for the world. Being a part of that church startup in Berkeley where we saw marriages restored, marriages healed, uh, struggles, addictions overcome, uh, many people putting their faith in Jesus week after week in a, in a place like Berkeley. Um, I wouldn't trade that for the world that time. In, in, in my own way, I, I see it as getting to be a part of a miracle like the multiplying of loaves uh, in that time. It just looked a little bit different at that church. Couldn't believe that God was doing that and getting to be a, a part of it. Um, guys, we get to be a small part of what God is doing here in Silicon Valley. I love verse 13. It says, So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. You know, that's a verse that you could kind of gloss over reading. I mean, obviously, you'd make the, the first thought of, okay, yeah, he had multiplied so much that even the leftovers were more than where he started with. That's a cool thought. But you know what? Here's what I think is the main thrust of that verse. Put yourself in the shoes of those disciples. How would you be feeling as you were going around and collecting those loaves, those fish? Like, here's what I'd be doing. Like, guys, really happened? Like, are you kidding? And we... There's more here than where we started with. And we got to be part of this? I have to think people are going to remember this. How cool is it to be a part of this? Um, I think verse 13 is what it's all about. I think verse, th- verse 13 is what we're trying to be all about here at Current, by the way. Our desire is to see God move and to somehow be a small part of that, if you'd be so willing to let us be. Last week, we celebrated some of what God is doing. We shared that the story of current is a story of God choosing to move and are just getting to be along for the the ride. Uh, Current is built on God moving through a growing team of people who love to serve their serving God. And it is easily one of the greatest joys of the journey to get to serve. We get to serve. And by the way, we get to serve together. in a way, is wow, we get to see God moving. We get to be a part of it. Isn't this amazing? Uh, make, it makes us think of the kids volunteers who are back there week after week investing in the next generation, helping our little ones uh, come to know and trust and love God who loves them dearly. Uh, it makes us think of the setup and teardown teams who faithfully make this space into what it is week after week. And they do, by the way, with so much joy. If you're ever here early, their joy is so infectious. The camaraderie that happens there. I love coming in and just letting it rub off on me and just uh, as we get into uh, the service of the day. It makes us think of the trailer drivers and their quiet and faithful uh, ministry. Uh, every Sunday morning, I go to the office early to pray and to work on the sermon. And it's one of my favorite, it's not my most favorite times of the day when I hear the, the truck start to pull out. And, and I just think, okay, we're, this is game on. Here it goes. Um, I actually happened to walk outside today uh, just to go over my notes outside. I figured it was a nice day, and I ran into the, the trailer driver today, and that, that was fun. Um, but just to think what they're doing quietly, faithfully. And if they weren't to show up, like, what, what would we do? Like, I mean, you know, it's, but it's, it's, they're amazing. Uh, their faithfulness week in, week out. It makes us think of the hospitality team that makes things look so nice here, makes the atmosphere so welcome, welcoming. The delicious coffee that we get week after week. Hospitality is a huge deal. Uh, and that ambience makes such a difference. It's so important. It makes us think of the usher team that faithfully serves us week after week. By the way, playing musical chairs 
Uh, one of the ministries that I don't think a lot of you know about is the usher team every week sets up the chairs, and as the church has been growing, they're constantly having to shift and reorg everything. And they're so scientific about it. They have the, everything to, to help things get set, but it's just like, that's a ministry that's easy to take for granted. Even as they're, you know, they have a ministry uh, in, in, in their smiles and helping us get seated. Then there's, of course, the welcome team uh, being the, the formal welcoming face as people enter into the service, helping people take the next step in community, whether it's getting them resources on the Christian faith or getting them info on groups or on serve teams. And then we think about the band, the audio and visual teams, teams that are faithfully leading us and serving us in worship week after week after week. And what amazes me about this team is you all know and experience every week how skilled they are. But what, me, what makes me admire them so much is not just their talent, but their hearts for ministry, the way that they serve us and care for us, their character in aiming to serve us as, as they lead us each into worship. There's so much more we could say about each of these teams. I, I encourage you, as Cindy mentioned, to flip through this booklet if, if you feel led to uh, think about getting more information on any of these. But the point here today is we get to be a part of the miracle. We get to serve. And God wants to pour out his love generously. I mean, again, I love that there's leftovers uh, after the miracle. I think that's saying God wants to love generously in and through us and allow us to be a part of it. And what's our part in all this? Well, it's to find a way to faithfully, willingly serve where there's opportunity and need. Uh, you know, the, this miracle, as fun as it is, is actually pointing to something far cooler. Um, it wasn't in our text read just because, you know, for the sake of time, we, can only, we, we just read what we can. But if you turn in your Bibles or flip in your Bibles uh, to verse 35, you will see Jesus explaining to the crowd what was really going on that day when he was feeding the 5,000, which wasn't just the multiplying of the loaves. Uh, the crowd comes back to him, and here's what he says. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the great miracle. Now, is it cool that Jesus met some physical needs? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. It means he cares about meeting physical needs. But the greatest need he seeks, he seeks to offer is the greatest miracle, and that is he points to himself, and as we serve him, we get to point to him, that is Jesus, the bread of life. We get to, in our serving, serve and meet tangible needs, but also point people to, meet, to finding their ultimate need met in Jesus. Jesus wants to satisfy our spiritual hunger, a hunger or inner emptiness in each of us that no material, no physical thing or person could ever satisfy. But through his death and resurrection the, and the breaking of his body for us, we can have a restored relationship with God and life in his name if we would receive him. And as a church, this is what we ultimately offer at our very core, Jesus, the bread of life. Um, and we get to do this in some exciting ways. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities to serve. Um, of course, this thought doesn't just apply on Sunday mornings, um, but serving others in all areas of our lives. But today, we want to give you opportunity to find a place to serve uh, as this church is growing and as we're scaling to keep up with what we see God doing. Uh, there will be people, the, the team leads out there in the courtyards. Again, you, you heard Cindy talk about it. You can rip off a sheet of paper. This is not signing your name up in blood. You're just getting more information. And again, I just want to say, if you're in any way feeling like, oh, it's making me feel guilty or obligated, don't do it. 
Don't sign up, and, and don't feel bad about that. We just love that you're here. Um, but let me end with this. Recently, former VP of Google and now COO of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, spoke, spoke at a conference in the area, and she told the story of how Eric Schmidt, then uh, CEO of Google, recruited her onto that team, which was an amazing feat because at the time, what her department, what, what, what department he was asking her to lead essentially did not exist. There was no team, so she was hesitant. She didn't, she didn't, know, she didn't want to sign up for this. But here's what Eric uh, shared to her and, and what finally sold her on, on the thought. He said, when you get asked to jump on a rocket ship, you don't ask what seat. And I thought, that's a pretty cool thought. Because if, if we're real about it, if, if he could be so bold, by the way, with Google's mission to help the world organize its data, how much more should we be bold about our eternal mission in Jesus Christ? When we have the opportunity to witness the greatest miracle in Jesus week after week. Now, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for offering yourself as the bread of life, that because of what you accomplished on the cross, we can have eternal life in you, a restored relationship with you and our Heavenly Father. Thank you for serving us in this way, even laying down your life. Would you help us join you in your work of service? Thank you for the exciting ways you've, you've, been, you've been working in and through current. Father, not because we have it figured out any better, by the way, as, than, than Philip or, or Andrew, had it figured out, but for the sake of your glory and for the sake of more people coming to know you and grow in you, we ask, would you continue to do an even greater work and allow us to be a small part of it, even in spite of us? We long to see you move. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.